walk to Emmaus. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not, who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us, in us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road, and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God in the world. determined that we would have date nights on every Friday that we could. Actually, it's really good that he has a nursery duty today. <laughs> because almost every Friday night, and especially early on while we were dating, I would come home very disappointed. In my mind, this date night, the way it would proceed, you know, I would arrive, maybe there you know, it didn't have to be a rose, but, you know, some sort, of, some sort of kind gesture that he would be in a good place, at least. That we would have a great dinner. 
that there would be great and meaningful conversations, and that, I don't know, that it would foster this sense of growing closer to one another, right? This is what date night is supposed to do, or so I thought. So it was, it was kind of became sort of a joke after a while that we would even set these date nights, because typically what happened was we would spend less time with meaningful conversation and more in angry conversation just trying to figure out where we were going to go out to eat. Does anyone know this experience? And so what you were hoping doesn't turn out the way you thought. This happens, unfortunately, with me with holidays, too, like Christmas and Valentine's and all these things. Poor Michael has to deal with my great expectations. In fact, it became a pretty damaging thing um, until one day I was talking with a friend. And after another disappointing Friday night, she said, well, what did you expect? And it was then that I named out loud what I realized was quite large, that there would be meaningful conversations and intimacy would follow, and how I held on so tightly to this image. And I found out that it was these expectations so great that were largely responsible for the big disappointment that followed. It's interesting, after becoming a pastor and helping people and counseling people through difficulties in marriage, I realized that expectations aren't just important for us to talk about. They can make or break a marriage. (coughs) Expectations are huge because they guide our sense of reality. Beliefs are grounded in expectations. And so I love this passage as we enter this text. These two friends, we don't really know who they are. They may not be men. They may be husband and wife. We don't really know. But I love it because they're nobodies. They're not Peter. They're not Paul. They're not the disciples. They're two people walking to Emmaus. It's their story. It's our story. It's Easter Day in Luke's Gospel, and the women who had come to the tomb have told the disciples what they found. Nobody but a vision. Two men, like dressed in lightning, had appeared and said that Jesus was alive. Of course, the men replied that this was an idle tale. But these two men had heard at least, they were close enough to hear this news of the women. And so as they were walking to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, They were in conversation, and they were processing the passion, the death, the crucifixion that they had witnessed. And I love that Luke inserts this great irony. He says, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And so we, the reader, know that it is Jesus that's with them, and yet they are in the dark which makes the suspense of this passage so great and mounting. And Jesus feigns knowledge and asks, well, what are you discussing? And at that moment, it says that they were downcast, stopped in their tracks, incredulous. Cleopas, one of the travelers now named, says, are you serious? 
Are you a visitor or something? Do you not know what's taken place? These things that have been going on in which the irony growing, Jesus says, what things? I love it. What things? And then they proceed to tell Jesus all about himself, which makes it even more comical on some level. You know, about Jesus of Nazareth. You don't know him? He was a prophet, powerful and mighty, word and deed. Before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And here's the bombshell. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped, we had expectation that he was the one, the Messiah. And there it is, fully named now, what that expectation was. And you can just hear it in the deflation of their voice, their countenance, their body language. Let's not skip past this part. Their grief, their grief is deeply tied to their expectation. Just like the griefs that we bear. The expectations that we have that a spouse should grow old with us. That a child should outlive us. That families stay together. That God stays present in our depression. But when these expectations don't happen, not only do our hearts hemorrhage, but our faith falters. Deep grief can lead to this halting hope. Dare I say that it's here that their faith starts unraveling. For they begin to recount how the women had come to the tomb. But for them, did you notice? They didn't even stay in Jerusalem. For whatever reason, they hightailed it back to Emmaus. Jesus breaks into this story and ours again, and maybe we don't want to hear it, but we need to hear it. And he says these words, How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Jesus dropped the bombshell. What did you expect? Apparently not a suffering Savior. Apparently their expectations were not in sync with Scripture that had clearly said that Jesus would have to die and then rise. For it says that Jesus spent the next part of the road trip unpacking Scripture telling everything that happened from Moses to the prophets and how it all led, pointing the way that Jesus was the Messiah that would die and then be raised. I think it wasn't wrong, of course, that they had expectations. After all, it wasn't it they who said, we had hoped that you would come to redeem Israel? That expectation was true. Jesus was the one to redeem Israel, but the way in which Jesus fulfilled it wasn't the way they were looking. 
It's so true. They had lost the forest for the trees. And so many times we too are stuck by our own misguided expectations. By the ways in which we see. I was in a conversation with a couple of folks one time. And this was a couple um, not in this congregation. But after a lengthy conversation, they said, well, do you preach the Bible? And I wish I could have said, not in a, in a mean or sarcastic way, to say, well, which Bible? Because we all have our Bible, our way of interpreting truth. And clearly, these folks, as said at Free For All this week, had been looking at the Bible, their Bible, all this time and missed Jesus. This is why I think, and I, I mentioned this a little bit on, on Tuesday, that when a movie, like in 1999, when The Matrix came out, it exploded everywhere. Why? Because at the basic premise was perceived reality is not ultimate reality. In fact, in that case, it was a simulated reality called the Matrix in which they were harvesting human body heat and electric stimulation for an energy source. And so in the, in the famous scene, you have Morpheus who comes to Neo, the main character played by Keanu Reeves, and says, do you want the red pill or the blue pill? If you take the red pill, it's going to break open your reality. You're going to see like you've never seen before, but you're going to see some things you don't want to see. And guess what? You'll never go back to seeing the way he wants it. Or you can take the blue pill. And when you wake up, you won't remember any of this conversation, and you can continue your blissful ignorance. I think many times in our experiences, we don't realize it, but we intentionally take the blue pill. Even in discussing scripture, even in Sunday school, even in conversation with our friends, we take the blue pill. Dare I say it? We don't want to lean into something that feels foreign. We don't want to lean into a worldview that threatens our own. We don't want to lean into anything that doesn't feel safe. And so we begin to dismiss it. Or we go back to what we know. We don't want to face the possibility that Jesus, as he said, had to suffer and die before he lives. See, in our schema, messiahs don't die. In our schema, death doesn't fit into life. In our schema, resurrection sometimes seems like an idle tale. There's no way we're going to take that red pill. But the irony, see, is still for us. It haunts us. Just as it did in this story that the truth is right there. The truth was walking with them. And if you look at all the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, you know, we looked at Mary on Easter Sunday. She didn't recognize Jesus. 
She was looking for the dead Jesus when the living Jesus was there. And so she mistaken Jesus for the gardener, or Thomas, who clearly wouldn't believe unless he, t- he heard. But unless he touched the hands and the side, he wasn't going to believe. Or last week with Peter and the disciples who look out on the shoreline and this man tells them to, to cast their nets on the other side. All of these post-resurrection appearances struggle with the same tension. Failing to see the Christ right there before their eyes. And so these two people later have this wonderful line, wasn't our hearts burning when we were listening to him open up scripture? At Free For All this last Tuesday, Joanne said a poignant line. She says, we suffer from our expectations. And when someone kind of pushed her to explain what she meant, she says, when they're about us, when they're about self, when they're about what we know what's best or what we've been told that it has to happen a certain way and it doesn't, we suffer. Then Philip said, I don't even know that we have expectations. I think it's something for us to think about even today. I don't think many times we see the risen Jesus because we don't expect to see the risen Jesus around the corner. The problem is, is Jesus really even in our suffering in our conversation, in our bed when we wake up, in the shower, in the car, in the neighborhood, in Ingalls, is Jesus really in that person asking for a piece of bread? I think, like last Sunday, when I talked about this miraculous hailstorm that happened, my unspoken expectation, and maybe yours, is that Jesus isn't in the miracle business anymore. And then we see and we read a story like this and we come so close to Jesus and we miss it. See, it's not wrong to have expectations. You know, part of that whole unpacking the date night thing for me and Michael was, it's okay to have expectations. You just need to talk about them. Sort of name them and and understand and do a little exchanging. The problem is not that we have expectations. It's not that. In fact, I think as I talk to folks about the church in the 21st century, it's interesting what people will say. You know, we've got a dumbed-down church. You know, people aren't coming to church anymore. We And so the church, I believe, suffers from low expectations. We've asked less and less from members of the church, so, gosh, we're afraid they may not come back. In fact, I think we have lowered our expectations so much that we don't expect God to show up this Sunday morning on this rainy day in May in our song, in our word, and in our deed, in our passing of the peace and are talking to our neighbor on our pew, do we believe that this is the God that raised Jesus from the dead? Or are our expectations lowered so we wouldn't be disappointed? 
And this, believe it or not, is even where our conversation ended at Free For All. You know, sometimes I try to like piece together, like how did we get from here to here? Quite something. But in the end of our conversation, we started talking, well, why do we even go to church at all? And honestly, I think the only reason we would ask that question is if the power of God still eludes us. In honesty, it's not the fact that we go to church, but that we are the church. That we are embodied to be the church wherever we go. That the living Christ, if we believe, is a part of every one of us in our experiences. It changes how we see everything and everyone. Is Jesus on your pew right now? Look, look to the left and the right. Is Jesus on your pew? I mean, it's kind of ironic that I think sometimes Jesus is almost excluded the most in our pews. Because we have God, as Michael said, in a box, in a cathedral, in a place, in an institution, and the spirit is snuffed. And this story should raise that question, where are the burnings? I close with the words that have stayed with me every day this week. As I read the devotional book, a friend gave me Jesus Calling. Even now, you have access to as much of me as you have faith to receive. Even now, you have access to as much of me as you have faith to receive. So what do you expect?